everyone, and welcome back to another riveting episode of History Spelunkers, your favorite history podcast where we dive down deep and to find all the tales of niche and obscure history, and we can enjoy all the nice tidbits. I am your host, Kelvin, he, him pronouns, and joining me today is my wonderful, fantastic, and curious co-host. Say hi. Hi, this is Kelly. And welcome back to the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we'll just dive down into the questions immediately. So, how have you done a lot of traveling in your life? A decent amount. How how many how many states have you checked off? Do you think? Oh, um, is twenty too many? I feel like maybe a solid fifteen to twenty. No, I'm about that much too. I would say some of them are like just driving through on Mm, road trip to other places. That would up it to maybe twenty five. But yeah, uh, and others, it's like I've technically been, but I was like uh, an infant, uh, so. Well, I have driven from Miami to New Hampshire, so that probably that gets a g- lot. got me a lot of states. <laughs> um, uh, how about uh, internationally? Have you been places? I've been to a couple countries in Europe. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never been to Europe, just... Peru is the Sick. big one I went to. But, uh, or how about in the other direction, uh, Hawaii? Have you been that I, way? I have been to yeah. Hawaii once. Uh, yeah. I went also back in, ooh, how, how it was on a like choir trip. Ooh. We a, yeah. What a fun choir trip. It was a lot of fun. Where uh, in Hawaii? It was Honolulu. Yeah. So, um, and we really only had like two concerts the entire week we were there, so it was a lot nice. of just vacation, which was great. Nice. But yeah, so that is gonna be, you know, Hawaii is what we're gonna be talking about today. Good, good. And it's it's a, a lot of interesting facts that distinguish Hawaii from the rest of the fifty states, like this is it true. just being made of islands and volcanoes and the only one not in North America, and so, uh, but it was also the fact that Hawaii used to be its own country, mm-hmm. which like Texas, its own kingdom, queendom, uh, both. But yeah. yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Texas isn't all that special, unfortunately. I would argue that Hawaii might be a little bit more special than Texas. <laughs> In just general or in this specific regard? Just in general. As a Texan, <laughs> as a Texan, I can say that. Yeah. They, oh, they, they got some stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, they, they're up there. I'll say that. I don't know if I'll put them above us. You though. won't admit to that. No. Uh, I'm, I'm too many generations of Texan to be mm, able to fair. Uh, downplay it. But um, so, yeah, Hawaii used to be its own nation, a monarchy, mm-hmm. and uh, it's almost as old as the United States in terms of being a independent nation. But it's no longer that way. It is a 50 state. It was number 49. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Alaska was last. Yes. Uh, They both came together like a couple months apart. So Mm -hmm. I, they might be flipped, but, um, but yeah, so that's, uh, how did that happen is the big question we will be going into with the kind of messed up story in the way that the U.S. or at least Americans uh, 
we're kind of the bad guys. Yeah, and just... you know, my thought has always been imperialism, but I never really learned the details. Yeah, suspiciously. It, this is a U.S. colonialism yeah. episode, so uh, we're gonna talk about the overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy and the annexation of the kingdom into a UNES territory. Woo, yeah, boo monarchy. Yeah, boo monarchy, but also <laughs> boo Colonialism. getting rid of it in this specific instance. This is the one instance where I'm pro-monarchy. Yeah, for a very short, yeah, no. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we, let's just dive down this weird rabbit hole. People have been living on the islands that we now know as Hawaii for like 1500 years. It's not as old as some places in the world just because they're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's kind of hard to get there, but they've been there for quite a long time. Original inhabitants were Polynesians. That's the main ethnic group, and it's a very large ethno-linguistic group that covers most of the Pacific Ocean. There's others like Melanesians and Micronesians, but for the most part, Polynesia is all of the Pacific Islands, except for a couple others. Mm -hmm. But the islands in what is now known as Hawaii were divided up into different chieftains who you know, directed their territories. Some of them had like maybe one island. Some of the larger islands had multiple chieftains. Uh, but it was a very dispersed political situation, I guess you could say. And a lot of these territories were, they had like the same culture type of deal. So, um, Kind of like think of it like medieval Europe, where it's all these different kingdoms that basically operate the same way. And their political system or moral system or whatever was known as kapu, mm. which is this all-encompassing social code of different taboos and social interactions and regulations that had specific punishments associated with certain acts and they basically just governed your day-to-day -day interactions with people. A lot of them dealt with enforcing social hierarchies. So like you had Kapu that dealt with how commoners interacted with nobles. For example, you couldn't like make eye contact or you weren't allowed to wear certain colors um, around each other. Which colors? I think, like, the nobles, they got, like, gold and yellow type of thing. And mm. so if you're around a noble, you can't only wear the gold. nobles can Ooh. wear that color sort of deal. Dang. And then you also had gender-specific ones. The biggest is in regards to food. There was certain food where it was kapu for women to eat. They weren't allowed to eat it. <gasps> and also men and women were... It was kapu for them to eat in together. What food couldn't women eat? I do not know. <gasps> Hold, let me look real quick. Crazy. 
And men and women couldn't ever eat together? It was kapu for them to eat together. They're real for that. So women, it was kapu for women to eat pork, banana, <laughs> coconut, and certain types of fish. Did Were men allowed to eat everything? Probably. I mean, right, you know, that's kind of how Shame. shit works, right? Shame. Um, I am not an expert in kapu, so I'm yeah. not going to say that definitively. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, there's all sorts of rules and stuff, but that's just kind of how the status quo was at the time. So eventually some of these smaller chieftains begin expanding their territory until basically each island is under the control of a different kingdom or chieftain. Wow. And that's kind of just how things were. Just each island was doing its own thing. But 1778, Hawaii made contact with the European world, <gasps> which is pretty late in the game considering all of the Americas had been in contact with Europe for over 200 years by this point. That is pretty late in the game. But in 1778, a British explorer by the name of Captain James Cook. Oh, yeah. You might have heard of him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's the super famous guy, for those who don't know, um, as far as exploring goes. And in the Pacific world, he mapped out a lot of Australia, New Zealand, and even made it up to Alaska at one point. But wow. he was big in exploring the Pacific Ocean. And during his third voyage through the Pacific, he just so happened to stumble across these islands in the middle of nowhere to him. Yeah. Oh, pretty islands. Yeah. Oh, they're mine now. And so he called them the Sandwich Islands. What? <laughs> because I guess there's a region in England called Sandwich. Ah. Uh, like there's an Earl of Sandwich. That sounds right. So the Sandwich Islands, which is... A very English thing to do. Mm. And um, he stayed a couple of weeks. This was January 1778. And, you know, interacted with them, whatever. Had, he bestified them? I, it was more of just like, he wasn't going around claiming territories at this point, I don't think. He was just going around and he had a decent enough time, I guess. Didn't make any enemies or anything. And so he went off continue his voyage, went out to California, Alaska, like I said. And about a year later, in February of 1779, he ends up back in the islands. However, this time did not go as uh, swimmingly, I guess you could say. During his interaction with the indigenous people, some Hawaiians stole one of his ship's longboats. Which As they should, yeah. Is okay, like property rules aren't necessarily the same, whatever. And uh, not the first time that this has happened on his voyage. But in response to his longboat getting stolen, 
Cook decides to take a couple of Hawaiians hostage in order to negotiate for his boat back. Mm, I don't know if humans are... <laughs> Two humans for a boat? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I, I don't know what the exact number was, but yeah. He kept him hostage, and uh, this did, you know, solid plan, I guess, except that the person he decided to take hostage was the king of the island <gasps> of Hawaii. And, uh, yeah, no, people were not jazzed about that. And so on February 14th, Valentine's Day. Oh, cute. 1779, uh, the indigenous people mobbed and attacked Cook to get their king back. Let's go. And killed him along with four members of his crew. No way. I never knew that. <laughs> So let's go. Uh, we're recording this before Valentine's Day, but I guess happy Captain Cook Death Day to Woo! those indigenous Hawaiians. Fuck yeah. But um, yeah, so that happened and contact was made. Mm, certainly. Yes. More Europeans would soon follow, as they do. And die? Uh, less of them died mm. than probably some of the indigenous people would have thought ideal at the time, yeah. but you know, it's too late at this point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they begin to interact. Western technology begins to enter into the Hawaiian world. Mm -hmm. And part of this influx of different technology and being aware of the wider world leads the islands to begin trying to power play with each other and kind of upsets this sort of equilibrium of everyone gets their own island. Uh, and so they still weren't a full kingdom when the Europeans came. Right. Okay. Hawaii at this time is just the big island. Okay. Um, all the other islands were their own thing. Gotcha. There was no common identity of... Mm -hmm. Hawaiian-ness, I guess you could say. Yeah. Or at least in the political sense. That all changed when in 1782, so a few years after, a new chief would come to rule the island of Hawaii. His name was Kamehameha, and he determined that it would be his destiny to unify all the Hawaiian islands under one king, the king being him. And by 1810, he did that. No way. Um, yeah, so he would eventually become known as Kamehameha the Great. And For real. So yeah, his Kamehameha and his family dynasty would rule over the now islands of Hawaii, mm -hmm. which he named after his island. And they would rule until 1872. Wow. I never realized that the rest of the islands were named after the Big Island. I always just thought the Big Island was called Hawaii because it was the biggest island of Hawaii. No, you, you flip it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and for reasons that you know happen all over the world, it seems monarchs like to name themselves after each other, especially mm. the ones that they think are great, mm. and so. All the kings from the Kamehameha dynasty are all called King Kamehameha, mm. just one through five. 
So, yeah. Makes it a little confusing. It does, but um, I'll do my best to remember to say the numbers. <laughs> During this period of time, uh, a lot of change happens. Kamehameha II abolishes the kapu system whenever he happens to have dinner with his mother. Mm, and, but only then. And yeah, then it's, it, it's like that's like, oh, well, if the king did it, uh, everyone can do it. Before they weren't eating with their moms? They can't eat with different sex, no. What? It's wow. just kapu. Wow. I wouldn't have had to eat with my brothers. Correct. Win. Or any man. <laughs> Win. That is, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so yeah, uh, Kamehameha II abolishes the kapu system and establishes like a new legal semi-religious order to things. The white population on the islands continue to increase Gross. as the missionaries spread Christianity on the islands. Western-style agriculture becomes a thing. Gross. You get sugar plantations and, uh, and the population of native Hawaiians greatly decreases due to disease. Oh, which Good. is how it all works out, I guess. Yeah. When does Mr. Dole come in? He's a while later. Okay. Don't worry, he's coming. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so another interesting thing that occurs during this time period it, with uh, Kamehameha I was uh, he was interacting with this wild, wider world now, and... Uh, during one of these interactions with foreigners, a he was gifted a British naval ensign, which is a flag, and uh, so he was gifted a British flag, and he liked it, the look of it, enough to where he decided that uh, he's going to alter it slightly and just put it on his flag, and it's the Hawaiian flag now, which is yeah, you know, I didn't realize the origin story of that was so consensual. Yeah, yeah no, like, uh, Hawaii is the only U.S. state flag that has a British <laughs> ensign on it, but it was never colonized by England. It's just, oh, they I like it. They were just bros. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, Hawaii was never colonized by European powers in that way. However, there was a period of a couple of months in 1843 when a guy named Lord George Paulette, a British man, mm -hmm. rolled up into Honolulu with a battleship and uh, told King Kamehameha III that, hey, your islands are British now, right? The king was like, okay, you're pointing a battleship at my face, sure, but I'm not happy about it. And so after about five months the American military comes up with their own battleship and was like, yo, British, what are you doing here? This is our turf. You can't own them. And so they rang it up to, you know, went up the chain of command to the queen or whatever at the time. Mm -hmm. It was like, yo, stop this. And uh, the British government apologized and were like, we didn't ask him to do this. He kind of just 
took the initiative. Um, sorry. And in November of 1843, the British and the French government came together and signed a joint proclamation, each promising not to try and colonize Hawaii. Because it was America's turf. Well, it was, it, it was like America was trying to put like a sphere of influence yeah. thing more than like we're trying to colonize. But if America wasn't there, they wouldn't have done that. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but this is a bit, I mean, this was during Manifest Destiny, like was a thing. Yeah. But it was more of like continental U.S. We weren't thinking of going yeah, abroad. Yeah, we weren't like China's yet. a threat, so we need Hawaii. Right. That wasn't the thought process. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the whenever all the European powers came together and were like, oh, we won't take you over. And so it kept the kingdom of Hawaii independent Let's for a yeah. period of time. The next major event to occur in the kingdom of Hawaii is known as the Great Mahele of 1848. I don't speak Hawaiian, so if I, I'm going to mess things up, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, we're saying Hawaii, not Hawaii. Hawaii, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, so yeah, the Great Mahele, 1848. Basically, what this is, is as Hawaii becomes more involved in these international trade systems, especially with agricultural products like sugar. Macadamia nuts? Yes, that they're traditional. I, they're pop cultural Hawaiian thing, yeah. Um, so good. But sugar's the big thing at Fair. this point. And, and there's this big influx of white settlers in the kingdom in order to run the sugar plantations. And with all these white settlers establishing themselves, they began putting pressure on the local systems of power to adopt methods that were more European, more quote-unquote civilized, mm. as you will, especially in terms of property rights and different governmental systems Boo. so bowing to pressure because there's more and more of them every day in 1840 hawaii became a constitutional monarchy instead of an absolutist one i guess i'm maybe okay with that right <laughs> they set up a legislature and a supreme court and in 1848 they again bowed to western pressure whenever they established a system of private property on boo. the islands. <laughs> Big boo. Yeah. So prior to this point, private land ownership was not a thing in Hawaiian culture. Um, the Hawaiian people managed all the land belonged to all the people, and it was just managed by the monarch through a system of like high chiefs and lords who oversaw the management of different areas, but mm. it wasn't like ownership in the sense of I have a piece of paper that says this is mine now. I'll shoot you if you're... Exactly. Yeah. So the Mahele, this legal reform, split the land into thirds. One third belonged to the king, another belonged to the nobility, and the final third was for the commoners. Pretty even split. They only Can, need a third. Right. I mean. 
at the time, you know, conceptually, it's I, as good as you're going to get, I guess, in terms of if you're going to have to have private property, that's one way yeah, to do it. Yeah, at least they got some lands. They didn't have to, like, work the fields. I, I mean, they probably did. Probably, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but uh, the thing is, is that as part of dividing up all this land, there's now a... They had to set up a period of time during which Native Hawaiians could file paperwork to make a claim for the land that they already occupied. Horrible. In order to establish their deed to invent their private property. I hate that. Most native Hawaiians did not do this because... They live there. Why? Yeah. And uh, because of this, a lot of the available claims for that final third ended up in the hands of... The white settlers. I knew and you were gonna say that. I knew you were gonna say that. So horrible. In the end, the Mahele, which was an attempt to secure property rights for Native Hawaiians, backfired hardcore. Yeah, well when you don't have a history of private property. Yeah, you're and not you just try care. to drop it on them. Yeah. yeah. No, it it they they goofed up and uh it really screwed over a lot of indigenous Hawaiians in terms of property. Um, you know, it'd be like homesteading. It was like the Homesteading Act in the United States, but instead of the people actually living on the homesteads getting right to the land, it'd be like, hey, I personally go over to live in what would eventually become Kansas or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. I have my little homestead. I've been here. I've done the work. Okay, instead of giving me the deed, they give it to some Canadian. Someone comes and waves a paper in your face yeah. and says it's mine. And says, I'm actually not in this country. I've never lived here, but I did the paperwork, so it's mine now. Yeah, horrible. Ta-da! Um, so yeah, that's just how things are going in the land of Aloha. The monarchy managed to maintain their control over the islands... They at least established their deeds. Yes. Okay. Um, and they, you know, built up infrastructure using all this Western technology. They engrossed themselves into the international world. The sugar trade continues to expand, and Hawaiian and Hawaii soon becomes a notable spot on the globe as far as the sugar industry goes. Mm. They're not like the biggest player because slavery and the caribbean Happens, you know yeah. is currently happening but you know they're they're trucking along they, they're not doing too bad um so that's just kind of how things are going the next major political event 1872 okay december 11th on his 42nd birthday King Kamehameha V dies without an heir. <gasps> so his daughter. He didn't have any children. Oh. Um, so because he did not have any children and it's now a constitutional monarchy, they had set up a system to where the legislature would elect the next monarch from the members of the extended Hawaiian royal family. Oh, wow. He was 42 and didn't have any kids yet? They weren't worried about that? That's... You have 
one job as a king. Yeah. And that is to pop out a baby yeah. as soon as possible. Exactly. Wow. He didn't get the memo, I don't guess. Wow, was he assassinated by a family member? No, I think he just got sick. Mm. But yeah, so anyways, it's now election time to elect a king, which is a very strange concept, but... Yeah, is it, is it a king anymore if you're elected? I mean, the Pope is technically an elected monarch, so it's still a thing. That's a good point. Um, and it was only the people like on the council that were electing a king. So Right. It's the legislature okay. and it's not like anybody can run. It's only like all the cousins and Fair. other nobles. Fair. Okay. And so the two most popular candidates were named William Lunalilo. William. They've been engrossed and Christianized. And yeah, so they all got... A combination of Western style and Hawaiian names. Mm. So yeah, it's William Lunalilo and David Kalakua. Lunalilo was the favorite of the two as far as the legislature was concerned. Okay. And he probably, you know, if we weren't caring about democratic norms and such... He could have just unilaterally declared himself king without much opposition. Was he the closest relative? Due to his being really closely related to... Like the younger brother situation? Uh, I don't know if it was a brother, but it's like he's the next cousin over type of mm. deal. And so he, he could have done it and wouldn't have faced much opposition from the political system. But he insisted on there being... Not just the legislature choosing, he pushed for a general election of the people to give their opinion on the next monarch. Being pro-democracy always fails in the end. And so, January 1st, 1873, there is election amongst the populace. Luna Lilo won pretty uh, handedly because okay. he's like, here, I want you to vote for me. But I want you to vote. And mm -hmm. so the people did. And then it went to the legislature, then kind of like an electoral college, I guess, where then they then unilaterally and unanimously elected him the next monarch. Cool. So King Lunalilo, he goes around. He's really trying to modernize the country and do all sorts of things to build up Hawaii as this new power. But... He is not the most successful because a year later, February 1874, he dies from tuberculosis. No! William. Yeah. And of course, he did not have an heir because... He didn't learn anything. He was too busy being sick most of the time. Oh, so that happens. You have another election and... Uh, David won this time? David Kalakua, he was like, hey, I want to run again. I still want to be king. He's running. And also running against him was Queen Emma, who is the wife of the late king Kamehameha IV. Let's go. So two kings ago. Right. Well, I guess three at this point, okay. but still. She had been eligible to run in the previous election. That was popular, but she had elected not to. Mm. She 
bowed out. But this second round, she decides that she wants to do it. They again hold a public referendum, but Kalakua wins. Mm. So David is now elected king by the people. When the legislature meets to formally elect him on February 12th, the, she su kills him. the supporters of Queen Emma interrupt the legislative proceedings, basically pulling like a January 6th insurrection. Let's go, yeah. However, unlike January 6th, there was no military to stop no, no Nancy and Pelosi intervene. to stop it. And the cops that were there actually mutinied and joined the protesters. They knew to who the right the choice queen. was. They knew. Several legislatures, legislators were injured and one was even killed after he was defenestrated, which is a fun word. What does that mean? Being thrown out of a window. Woo! Yeah. Um, which is great that we made up a word for that. Defenestrated. Well, they had some tall buildings, I yeah. guess, because... Um, so, yeah, you know, it. Uh, they did that. Yeah. And uh, the government, which is now in shambles, uh, had to request assistance from nearby American and British militaries Ooh. to be like, hey, help us out. Um, our own cops are turning against us. And so... I don't know. It sounds like they have a queen. Um, the foreign militaries land in Honolulu and temporarily occupied the city in order to reestablish order. The riots went on for about a day and a half or so. But on the next day, Kalakua was sworn in as the monarch. Fake. And in return for helping Kalakua become... Monarch, the U.S. military was like, hey, you need to give us something in return. And so the U.S., uh, in return for helping Kalakua, got a temporary lease on a few islands, uh, on the, uh, like a few islands in a bay mm. on the island of Oahu. Of Oahu that oh, would yeah. eventually, you know, they called it Pearl Harbor. Uh, yeah, they did. And, uh, and it was used as a naval coaling station. Oh, yeah, it was. And so, um, yeah, that was just a fun, dramatic when thing. When was that? This was um, February 12th, 1874. Wow, Pearl Harbor's old. Yeah. Wow. And it was a temporary lease. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you know, we just had these major upheavals with attempting to do a democracy in a monarchy and it backfiring dramatically. Bringing in the U.S. military. Yeah, having to ask politely to be invaded, please, to help us out. All because they hate to see a girl boss winning. <laughs> you know what, David? He was, he was there. He was campaigning, okay? She just should have done better. He successfully slew the Goliath Emma. Yeah. Horrible. So anyways, David Kalakua, he starts a new dynasty. And things go back to somewhat normal, I guess you could say. Things calm down whenever you aren't having elections in that way anymore. But the 
stresses on the society that existed prior to all this chaos still exists. You still have very large moneyed interest in the forms of foreign sugar plantations. You have growing populations of non-indigenous people Spreading on the islands um, that are taking up a lot of the land. And uh, on June 30th, 1887, a white militia known as the Honolulu Rifles, which... Mm -hmm. And another group called the Hawaiian League, which was a secret society of white people, uh -oh. um, they held a meeting and they decided that, you know what? They're not getting a good enough deal in this situation. It's hard being white in Hawaii at this time, you know? And they need to force the monarch to make certain concessions in order to decrease their political power and, of course, boost their own as... Sounds like they should go back where they came from. You know, I don't know. they're the descendants of white settlers, and they're Hawaiian. They were born there, so... And they're racially superior, but, you know... Well, the next day, uh, June 31st, the rifles captured and threatened to kill... King, the head of King Kalakwa's cabinet, who was basically like their prime minister. Wow. No secret service, I guess. Right. Um, so, yeah, you had this white militia capture the king's cabinet minister. And then they then issued a bunch of demands to the monarch, who uh, was like, Hey, yo, America, England, you helped me out last time. Can you help I'll me deal with this? I'll give you another this? harbor, please. And they are basically like, I don't know, man. Just do what they say. Gross. And so, you know, Kalakua does what they say. And over the next week, the leaders of the Hawaiian League were installed into multiple powerful cabinet positions. No! In which they rewrote the entirety of the no. Hawaiian Constitution. What? They didn't kill them? No, no, they just held a guy hostage and were like, hey, put us in charge. And he was like, like yes, okay. Wink, wink, and then you kill them. Maybe you're, maybe you should be a monarch, Kelly. Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, no. And so they rewrote the Constitution? They completely rewrote the Constitution. What? In which they stripped the monarch's ability to appoint most of the government ministers. And gave it only to members of the Hawaiian Rifle Militia. And uh, they, you know, they weakened his ability to veto legislation. And, uh, you know, in an abstract anti-monarchy situation, that's all right. Not but in this very real This real context situation. situation, it's like, oh, whenever you have the indigenous monarch who's one of the few checks on a white political class that is actively oppressing and stripping the rights of indigenous Hawaiians, it's not a, a good situation. And then they continue to go farther establishing that, oh, in order to hold political office, 
you have to meet these certain requirements in terms of like owning property. No! Oh, you Native Hawaiians don't own property? That sucks. Guess oh. you can't be in political office. Oh, Guess you can't vote. And so the vast majority of indigenous Hawaiians were removed from the electorate. And do you know what else would be a great thing to do for us white Hawaiians? Let's uh, allow foreign residents who are not citizens of Hawaii to vote in no! our elections. What? Um, so yeah, in total, about two thirds of the population of Hawaii lost the right to vote. Because of this militia? Because of the militia, this coup. This new constitution is known as the Bayonet Constitution. Yeah. It was never ratified by the legislature, nor put up to a vote by the people. But it was the law of the land, because the militia well, did says they still so. have the prime minister hostage? Like, I don't understand. Well, they replaced him with a different guy. Oh, a white guy? I believe so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, rough. And over the next couple years, you have these newly disenfranchised Hawaiians who decide that they want to try and undo this situation. So there's several coup attempts and rebellions. Um, a guy that leads multiple of them, but never gets really in any sort of serious trouble, it seems, is a native Hawaiian by the name of Robert William Wilcox, who attempts to dethrone King Kalakua so he can replace him with his sister, who is much more vocal about being opposed to the these changes enforced by the Hawaiian League. Good for her. But none of the coup attempts are successful. Boo. And so, unfortunately, time passes. 1891, King Kalakua passes away. And did this he have time, an heir? He did have an heir. It was his sister. Yes! Queen Lilu Wakalani. Yes, I've been waiting for her! She is the first queen regnant of the Hawaiian Islands. Let's go, except, you know... And she's very much opposed to the white settlers that have taken control and held the systems of government hostage. Okay, good, yeah. So her main priority as the new monarch is to try and get the legislature to write a new constitution that would return suffrage to Native Hawaiians and also restore a bunch of her powers as the monarch. Yeah, I mean, she's monarch. She should have total, complete power. Right. Like, we don't the, even need people to vote. They're just better than us. Yeah. And should just run everything. Yeah. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the Hawaiian League was not as agreeable to that stance. Hawaiian League. Yeah. And so they begin, the Hawaiian League began plotting to depose the monarch again. And you know what? Just having this constitutional monarchy stuff and being our own government, we're all American. Any, I mean, we're Hawaiian, big air quotes, but we're really Americans for the most part. Um, so why don't we just bypass this whole local government thing that's getting in the way and just ask to be annexed by the US? No, no. 
This is very similar to like the filibuster logic that made its debut a few episodes ago, if you go back and find that. But, um, so yeah, uh, you have 13 members of the Hawaiian League who, in order to facilitate this plan of annexing themselves into the United States, um, they form what's called the Committee of Safety. Fake. And they actively began organizing plans to depose the monarch, and they began collecting weapons. On January 16th, 1893... I thought you were going to say January 6th. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's not that poetic of a time, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, yeah, January 16th, 1893, shit begins to go down. The authorities are tipped off um, that a coup is about to happen. And so they begin going around with arrest warrants to try and arrest the Committee of Safety. However, because the Committee of Safety had established themselves politically with certain uh, connections, they were able to delay getting those arrest warrants issued on themselves. And they also, none of them were mm, Hawaiian citizens. And so... None of the Committee of none Safety? None of the Committee of Safety were none Hawaiian of the citizens. militia? Some of the, some of the militia, like the rifles were. Oh. Um, and some of the Hawaiian League was. But you don't have to be a citizen to vote in Hawaii at this time. Oh, gosh. And so, um, yeah, they put these delays on. And there's also a concern that since they're not actually citizens, arresting them might cause some international kerfuffles. Boo. But the kingdom was able to be put under martial law in order to try and halt a coup from happening. January 17th, a Hawaiian police officer named Lealoa was killed after he uncovered a shipment of weapons that was intended to go to these revolutionaries. A whole shipment. The conspiracy gets spooked because, oh shit, we killed a cop. They're like, they can get us now because we've committed a crime, more crimes than we already did. And so uh, they're like, coup has to happen now. Uh-oh. They immediately organize the militia and assemble a mob that organizes across the street from the Iolani Royal Palace, which is where Queen Liliwakalani is. The leader of the Committee of Safety, his name was Henry Cooper. He was an American lawyer. Boo. And... He got up in front of this crowd and read a proclamation in which he formally deposed the queen and established a provisional government under the leadership of a man named Sanford B. Dole. <gasps> no! Now, the Dole name might sound familiar to some people because this is the older cousin of the guy who would uh, become famous for pineapples. I was wondering when he would come in. So it's the same family, but not the same guy. Okay. 
It's his older cousin. But now he's ruling the island. He is now temporarily. provisionally the president of Hawaii. Because of the coup. Because of this coup. Okay. Um, now he's just, de they've just declared this at this point. Like no actual conflict has happened. The queen is like, yeah, right. She's okay. watching this go down. And you know how I said some of the whole, that committee of safety had, you know, these political connections. Well, one of those connections was to the U.S. minister in Hawaii, the ambassador. Uh. His name was John L. Stevens. Stevens actively conspired in the hopes that the U.S. would eventually annex Hawaii. And so, when he sees all this shit go down on January 17th, he's like, hmm, the people I like are doing a coup. You know what? I need to send in the USS Boston, which is just offshore there, and it has 162 Marines. Uh. I need to order them to march into the streets of Hawaii to, quote, protect the U.S. non-combatants' lives and property. Not their property. So these Marines march into the streets of Hawaii and set up shops in multiple locations surrounding Iwilani's palace. And though they never fired a shot or they never set foot on the palace grounds, their presence served to, like, boost the revolutionary force and was seen as consent in facilitating this coup. Right. I mean, it's, it's part of the coup. It's, it's the yeah, coup. It's, there's a coup. Yeah. yeah. Well, the queen, sitting in her palace... She sees all this stuff happening, and she does not believe that she will be able to muster a significant armed group of her own in order to help her maintain control of her kingdom. Yeah, I guess she can't just call in her own marines. Right. And also, her being the person that she was, she did not want to lead her country into a civil war. Fair. Civil War. I mean, at that point, it would be. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, with Civil War, where part of the element is mostly foreign-born non-citizens, yeah. you know. Um, but anyway, so Queen Liuakalani, she decides not to uh, forcefully press, like, armed forces she go to for battle. She goes for peace. She goes for peace. So she is placed under house arrest and she writes a letter in which she abdicates her power. No. Though in that letter she's... Not by letter. She writes a letter formally abdicating her power as monarch. But in the letter she's like, I'm not wanting to do this. Yes. And I am going to get my power back eventually. Yes. You just watch. Yes. But she abdicates her power as queen. But now she's under house arrest, and so she begins a letter-writing campaign to other nations around the world <gasps> to help her regain control. I never knew that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, she goes hardcore being like, hey, yo, 
all these other monarchs of the world, all these people I've been... Yeah, you know, team monarchy. Uh, you know, United States, you know, we're kind of friends. Actually, you know what, U.S.? Um, your president, Grover Cleveland, he and I are really good buddies. No way. And uh, so, yeah, you know, she, she begins trying to see what he can do. Well, on February 1st, 1893, the provisional government of Hawaii, led by Sanford Dole and the Committee of Safety, they send a letter to uh, send a resolution to the United States asking to be annexed. Please, Daddy, take us over. No. And they also raise the United States flag over the government building in Honolulu. No! And declare themselves a protectorate of the United States. Fake. Luckily for the Queen, Grover Cleveland was like, What the heck? I don't want... I, 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 he and Liuakalani, Grover, they were, they were besties. Yes! And so Yay, he's like, no, we, we ain't doing that. So he withdraws the annexation treaty from Congress and instead orders them to investigate what actually went down and how involved was the U.S. in this coup. These investigations result in two different reports coming mm. out. Hmm, suspicious. The Blount Report came out July 17th, 1893, and in it, it claimed that the provisional government lacked popular support and that U.S. officials had improperly participated and were responsible for the coup success. Sounds right to me. Cleveland, after receiving this report, would later address Congress and in this speech, he called the coup, quote, an act of war committed with the participation of the diplomatic representative of the United States and without the authority of Congress. Yeah. He begins to start negotiations with the provisional government to try and restore Queen Liliuokalani as monarch. Yeah, she's queen. Unfortunately, part of those negotiations hinged on her promising to pardon any member of the Committee of Safety that had participated. And she was like, no, I'm not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, no. And so Sanford Dole was like, well, if you're not going to pardon me, I'm not going to let you get back on your throne. Because these negotiations broke down, a second investigation happens that Sanford Dole ran. Not Sanford Dole. Okay. This is the this is U.S. <laughs> still. But instead of it being like the president's appointed man, it's done through the Senate and or through Congress. And this report is known as the Morgan Report. And it came to the completely opposite conclusion of the Blount Report. Shocker. And basically yeah. cleared any U.S. involvement from the coup and said, you know what? We were only involved. The stuff that we did only happened because there was a vacancy in the powers of government and it was proper for us to send our troops in in order to protect our citizens. Yeah, the queen wanted to abdicate. Like, she, there was no government. It yeah. was anarchy. So we had to step in. Yeah. 
the only person actually accused of wrongdoing in the Morgan report was the queen herself. Of course. Because yeah. she was threatening to overturn the constitution that she had sworn to protect. A constitution that was never legitimate by the legislature or the people and was forced upon the previous monarch. Hmm. Yeah, you know. And the, evil, evil queen. Yeah. Um, so these reports, you know, split the opinions of basically everyone because none of the senators assigned to the report agreed with all the aspects of it. And final judgment was just like 5-4 in favor whenever they issued the report. Wow. So like super heated issue at the time. Yeah, well, there's two different reports saying opposite things. So they're both kind of equally at fault. Yeah, they, and you can critique each report in its own way. In fact, that neither included witness testimony from both sides mm. of the situation. Like Blount's report exclusively interviewed royalist sympathizers pretty much and morgan's report had no royalist sympathizers so they're both biased but either way the morgan report the one that says the u.s we didn't do anything bad becomes the official policy of the u.s government no and as such grover cleveland can't really push any more efforts to try and restore the monarch no and so, in 1894, on July 4th, yeah, because they're not getting annexed, unfortunately for them, they decide to declare themselves the Republic of Hawaii, with Sanford Dole being the president. No way! And they form a more per permanent government, which is basically just there to wait until a more favorable U.S. administration comes along to annex them. Yeah. Robert Wilcox, who is the indigenous Hawaiian that I mentioned earlier, who tried to do a bunch of coups to undo the injustice that he saw. Good for him. In 1895, he makes another appearance. And he orchestrates a rebellion to try and reinstate Queen Liowakalani, who at this point is still under house arrest. But she's, you know... House arrest as a monarch isn't that bad, yeah. I'm just going to say. Yeah. Um, so the plan was to smuggle in arms and organize around 700 militia members to take control of the government buildings in the middle of the night, and then they can, you know, go from there. Unfortunately, they were not able to get all the people that they were expecting to mm -hmm. join them. And so after three days, the rebellion fell apart. Oh. Well, now you have the Republic of Hawaii who go around looking for people to blame. And they're like, hey, you know, Queen Liuwakalani, they're trying to get you back in power, right? And, oh, guess what? We found some weapons on your royal grounds. Were you harboring those weapons? That's treason. And so they sentence her to five years of, like, more strict house arrest. Oh, no. But uh, she's pardoned after, like, a year. Okay. But she's 
forced to sign a more permanent abdication of the throne in order to spare her supporters from being executed. Oh, goodness. And that is the end of the monarchy. Oh, wow. She continues to press for the rest of her life to try and restore her powers, but it is ultimately to no avail. Yeah. And so we have the Republic of Hawaii run by the white Americans. Yeah. Um, and they continue on for a few years and just waiting for a better administration in the States to come and take them over. Mm-hmm. Well, in 1897, a man named William McKinley becomes president and the Republic of Hawaii is like, hey, this might be our guy. Well, 1898, the Spanish-American War starts. Let's go. So, Spanish-American War takes place in Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. Well, you know what just so happens to be on the way from the oh, United no. States to the Philippines? Uh, and we already have a coaling station there wow. in our, Pearl our, Harbor. Our introduction to the Pacific Sphere. And so, uh, all this, you know... This war has started to liberate Spain's colonial holdings. And when the war starts uh, in April of 1898, as part of this war effort in order to facilitate them getting to the Philippines on July 4th, 1898, Congress passes the Newlands Resolution, which annexes the Hawaiian Islands. Wow. The annexation goes into effect on August 12th, which just so happened to coincide with the end of the Spanish-American no, War. No, Um. So, yeah, it was just... Yeah. We kind of just took them over. Um, the annexation did not go through the normal route of like approving a treaty in the senate it was just because it was war a related. resolution oh wow um and it was not voted on by like the hawaiian government they kind of just sent it to them and like hey if you do this we'll take it um in fact there was an effort of several groups to gather signatures and petition against the annexation by the United States. And over the course of a couple of weeks in 1897, um, 21,000 signatures from the approximately 39,000 indigenous Hawaiians expressed opposition to annexation, but were completely ignored. Yeah. Wow. I feel like, not that I thought that they were enthusiastic about becoming a state, but I kind of thought it just happened to happen. Yeah. Not that they were actively, like, what is it? 21,000 out of 30,000? Out of 39. So almost half. Okay, almost half. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, no, crazy. 
1900, the Hawaiian Organic Act is set up to establish the territory of Hawaii. And in 1901, the Supreme Court gives its stamp of approval over the annexation being constitutional. Yeah. In the, it's part of the, what are known as the insular cases, which are a bunch of weird court cases that basically uh, establish how the U.S. overseas territory systems worked. And they're very bad cases because they're like, oh, they're just brown. They can't possibly have all the rights of the Constitution. It, it's rough. Um, yeah, they, they have the phrase that because um, the people living in these territories are not citizens of the U.S., they are, quote, foreign in a domestic sense. Wait, so Hawaiians couldn't vote? Uh, at this time, no. I mean, because they were territories, so it's not like they had they representation in Congress. They were... It was basically like um, how, like, Oklahoma yeah. was a territory before a yeah. state. It was yeah. like that. But it was even worse in the fact that it was a different type of territory. Yeah. And it's totally not because there's all of these brown people there. Yeah. Um, or, you know... They, they had this racist notion of, like, a white man's burden of, yeah. like, we're, it's our, you know, struggle to go there and civilize you, and so we'll just you, vote you, for you. you guys just aren't capable of handling yeah. the full power of being a U.S. citizen, so yeah. we'll handle that for you. Oh, God. But, yeah, being foreign in a domestic sense is a, a banger of a line. Oh, God. So... Starting in 1901, territory of Hawaii continues to exist throughout several decades. Uh, it exists much in the same way that Puerto Rico currently exists. Not exactly the same, but the idea of, like, it's not a state, but basically a state. Agricultural interests shift from, away from just being exclusively sugar. It's where you get the pineapples and the macadamia nuts and yeah. Hawaiian tourist culture becomes a yeah. thing. Coffee. Um, yeah. And, uh, oh yeah, that temporary lease in Pearl Harbor, it's no longer temporary. Um, yeah. So all this stuff begins happening and a bunch of basically an oligarchy forms of all these big agricultural groups. Mm -hmm. It's basically like a banana republic, effectively. Yeah. They're all, like, intermarried and stuff and run the whole system. It's... Yeah, dole. Yeah, go pineapples, go dole. <laughs> um, and the dole that we think of was actually, like, involved in that stuff. Yeah, so, for sure. Sucks. But the next major event that happens in Hawaii is... Uh, on December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy, the Japanese Empire attacked the U.S. military institution at Pearl Harbor. Yeah, they did. In an attempt to cripple the U.S. Pacific Fleet. And as a result of this attack, the islands were placed under martial law for basically wow. the entire duration of the war. Wow. So the military controlled every aspect of Hawaiian life. There's rations, curfews, censorship of the media. They went through people's mail. They suspended certain legal protections like trial by jury. 
Don't need no. that anymore. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people's civil rights were abused by the U.S. military in the name of the Japanese could invade us at any time. Yeah. You know, when they, when they were bombing Pearl Harbor at the time, the fuel facility that was like right next door uh-huh. was still confidential. It had like just been installed. Oh, really? Um, and if the Japanese had known and bombed there, it would have been like so much worse. So much worse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. No, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, uh, in addition to just the horribleness of martial law, you also, uh, some Japanese Americans, which there's a very large population of uh, Japanese Americans in Hawaii, they were interned. Yeah. And uh, Japanese internment is a wild story, probably will be a podcast episode because it's a, it's a doozy. Yeah. Um, but they were interned. It wasn't close to the same scale as what was in the mainland and Western United States, but that's just because the population percentage was so much larger that it wouldn't have been feasible. And it was already under martial law, which is basically its own type of prison. Yeah, they already couldn't have trial by jury. And so, uh, yeah, that's just, uh, what happens world war ii runs its course u.s america we kick ass we drop bombs we drop nukes we win yeah boo we Japan. are now the global superpower yeah and uh as a global superpower who has just defeated these countries that took over a lot of land and established these giant empires it was now all of a sudden not cool and mm. we began looking at ourselves and being like hey um territories like kind of not chill kind of a, we, it, we have a large amount of occupied non-state territories and huh it's actually like more likely that at this point like in 1946 United States that you would be born in a overseas territory than it was to be black and wow huh and that that's already its own issue and we're, we're kind of just ignoring this much bigger slice of the pie very interesting and so we decide to begin dismantling it to some extent so like the philippines which we owned at the time they got their independence in the 40s and efforts to promote the territories of Hawaii and Alaska into states began to pick up steam during this time. There had been efforts for statehood for a long time because population-wise, they met the standards. But, um, you know, it's we just never intended to have so many non-white people in a state as they can't be citizens yeah and so um that's just kind of how it was but because we're re-examining ourselves they're like "Hmm, what's more important letting go of hawaii as a territory or making them a state and then there's also the idea of like um hmm, well and you hear it now with arguments with like making Puerto Rico or DC a state. 
well, they might vote for a certain political party, and yeah. we just can't disrupt that balance. Yeah. And so that's why in 1859, there was a political compromise to grant statehood to Hawaii and Alaska because it was expected that the Hawaiians would vote for the Republicans and the Alaskans would vote for the Democrats. We're all good. And they did the exact opposite. <gasps> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> electorally, it's done basically where they've done the exact opposite. But at the time, that's what they were expecting. Um, but the fact that they would balance each other out, we'll make it okay. They'll become states at the same time. Yeah. And so they send the uh, issue of statehood to the Hawaiian people to vote on. The first time they've gotten to like vote on any of these changes. Hey, vote. Do you want to vote on being able to vote to being able to vote? And so in... Uh, 1959, they vote to approve the Statehood Act by over 90%, which, wow. I mean, I'd okay, rather yeah. be a state than a territory. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it becomes the 50th state. I guess they were number 50. In okay. Alaska out sure. there first. So, yeah. um, and they were notable and Hawaii is notable at the time for being the least white and most ethnically diverse state in the country. Let's go, yeah. They, they were the first state to join the union without having a majority white population. Sick. And it took us 1959. So. Yeah, it was only the 50th state out, yeah. of, out of 50. Um, and so that's just how it was. They're a statehood now. Everything's going great in Hawaii. <laughs> Well, 1993 comes around, and it's the centennial anniversary of the overthrow of the monarchy and mm. Queen Liliuokalani. It's the 90s. Soviet Union's collapsed. We're looking inward on ourselves, being like, hey, we might have done some bad things. And so they pass a resolution in Congress called the Apology Resolution. No. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's good, but that's so funny. And in it, the resolution states that the U.S., quote, acknowledges that the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii occurred with the active participation of agents and citizens of the United States. Yep. And further acknowledges that the native Hawaiian people never directly relinquished to the United States their claims of inherent sovereignty as a people over their national lands. Uh-huh. It's neither through the Kingdom of Hawaii or through plebiscite or referendum. Mm-hmm. End quote. And that was that. So this resolution pretty much retroactively acknowledged the Blount report from the first report that said, yo, we f up. Yeah. It was like, actually, yeah, that might have been more right than we the originally Morgan. said. Yeah. And so it only took them a century to do it. Yeah. But it was seen as a major step in the reconciliation between the federal government and Native Hawaiians. It's also notable for being one of the very few times in history that the U.S. government has apologized or officially recognized some of its historical actions yeah we don't have an apology resolution too yeah so um 
to this day, there are some people who take this apology resolution and push for Hawaiian independence, saying that, yeah, we never directly relinquished control and we are under an active military occupation I against mean, our will. I mean. But, uh, and there's also been a larger push for restoring parts of Native Hawaiian culture, um, particularly like the language mm -hmm. and land rights and all those things that had been stripped and actively suppressed during the colonial period. I'm not an expert in any of these issues mm -hmm. or anything modern day. This is a history podcast and the 90s is close enough. So I think that's as good a place as any yeah. to... End this episode. Well, you know, the fuel that was that was there um, that they brought in in the 40s that was confidential uh -huh. during Pearl Harbor was then controversial for many decades. And there was a long, long movement um, to defuel Pearl Harbor, basically, because yeah. it kept leaking um, jet fuel into the water and the ocean. And aren't, like, the ships that sank there also leaking fuel and stuff? Probably. It's been like a huge thing for yeah. a very long time. And finally, last year, they defueled the facility. Oh. Guess where the fuel went? As the, just a different part of Hawaii? To the Philippines. Oh! Yeah. yeah, to the former territory that didn't get to be a state, I guess. Yeah, well, they got independence, which I guess is a pretty good deal. Yeah, but it's really controversial there, the fact that the U.S. just yeah. moved all this fuel over because the U.S. citizens couldn't stand it there anymore. Uh-huh. And now it's in the Philippines. Hmm. And it was like a huge thing that the U.S. didn't want to defuel right. Pearl Harbor because, you know, ooh, China, ooh, we need to have like a military presence close to the sure. Pacific, in the sure. Pacific sphere. Like we can't defuel it, but then they just moved it closer. Yeah. Anyways. Mm. Funny how that works out. Yeah. So, you know, there's still it's still ongoing for sure. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Hawaii. Yeah. It's a wild story. Beautiful place, you know. Beautiful place, beautiful people. Yeah. Maybe not as beautiful as history as we'd like it to be. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just wild how we just, like, there's no, like, really any process. And the fact that we acknowledge that and we're like, oh, but it still counts. And that it was not even, like, the U.S. government was yeah, like, no, we it, need Hawaii. It was white Americans yeah, it was in the Hawaii Americans were there being like, like hey, we want power. It's like, we did all the hard work. Can you take us over now? And it's like, hmm, okay. And it happened during a war, and Hawaii wasn't even, like, the Philippines really weren't even attached to the war. It was mostly Cuba was, like, the justification of it. But yeah. The fact that then the Philippines got involved and we're like, oh, we might as well just take Hawaii on. It's it's on the way. We might as well stop. Yeah. Wild. Wow. Crazy, wow. crazy. F*** you, Mr. Dole. F*** Mr. Dole. Mm -hmm. I do love a good pineapple, though. I do love bananas and macadamia nuts. Yeah. And um, coffee. Yeah. And all the Hawaiian So maybe exports. we're the problem. I'm the problem. For feeding into the demand. Yeah. Damn. Uh-oh. Well, we won't examine that too much. <laughs> it's been a long enough episode already. So, 
Uh, I'll go ahead and close this out. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's topic, please tell your friends about us. And for those who want to dive a bit deeper into some of the sources for today, we'll be in the show notes. Our instrumental music is by Mountaineer. You can find their stuff and more on Upbeat.io. As always, we want to acknowledge we're recording this podcast on occupied land that rightfully belongs to the Kiowa, Comanche, Tonkwa, as well as other indigenous peoples. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Thanks again for being on the show, Kelly. I hope you enjoy. Anytime, especially when it's Hawaii themed. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, until next time, thank you for coming down the rap hole. Bye-bye. I say aloha. Yeah, aloha. It's both. Aloha. Aloha.